26 years ago, a study was done by Harvard University, and it was printed in, um, published in Marriage and Divorce Magazine. And it was a national survey, and they found out some interesting things about divorce. They discovered that the divorce rate 26 years ago was one out of every three marriages. But listen to this. When the couple is married in a church ceremony, it drops to one out of 50 marriages ends in divorce. But it gets better. When a couple is married in a church ceremony, attend church regularly, they pray together and they read the Bible together, the divorce rate drops to one out of 1,105. Pretty good odds. That's the difference that God makes in a marriage. That's the difference that it makes when you get under God's authority. If you've got a husband under the authority of God and you've got a wife under the authority of God and of her husband, that's what God does is he causes your, your marriage not just to survive, but to thrive. And let's face it, though, in our society, submission has gotten a bad rap, right? Hello? Yes, yes, gotten a bad rap. So what we're going to do today is we're going to spend a little bit of time figuring out the biblical definition of submission. You probably came in here with some preconceived notions. And so we're going to start with what submission is not. In the movie Coming to America, Eddie Murphy is the prince of Zamunda. And the way the, the things in Zamundan times went was the parents chose, especially when you were the prince, the parents chose your uh, future wife and she was trained from birth to obey the king's every command. And what I want to show you is just a couple of minutes from Eddie Murphy when, when the Prince of Zamunda meets his bride on their wedding day for the very first time. Watch this. Am I not all you dreamed I would be? Oh, you're fine. Beautiful. It's just that if we're going to be married, I thought we should talk to each other, get to know each other. Ever since I was born, I've been trained to serve you. Yes, I know this, but I would like to know about you. What do you like to do? Whatever you like. <laughs> what kind of music do you like? Whatever kind of music you like. Look, I know what I like, and I know you know what I like because you were trained to know what I like, but I would like to know what you like. For instance, do you have a favorite food? Yes. Good. What is your favorite food? Whatever food you like. <laughs> this is impossible. Listen, from this moment on, I command you not to obey me. No. Are you saying that no matter what I tell you to do, you will do? Yes, Your Highness. Anything I say you do? Yes, Your Highness. Bark like a dog. <coughs> a big dog. Woof, 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 woof. Hop on one leg. Woof, woof. Now, that is definitely not the biblical idea of submission. Um, Eddie Murphy, in the movie, he spends the rest of his time trying to find a wife that would stimulate his intellect, not just look good. 
And, and he didn't want someone to be a slave. He didn't want that. And I think most women do not want to be slaves. And I understand that. And that is not what the Bible talks about when it says submission. That's not biblical submission. It's not mindless obedience. But it's also not this, um, this masquerading, pretending, manipulating type deal, ladies, where you make us think we're in charge, but we're really not in charge. You just let us think. That. That's not submission either. Y'all are laughing because you know exactly what I'm talking about. Let's look at the biblical definition of submission. If you have the New, Life, uh, New Living Translation, the Abundant Life New Testament, it is on page 165. Give you a second to turn there and let's look at what God has to say on the subject. Ephesians 5.2 says, live a life filled with love, following the example of Christ. He loved us and offered himself as a sacrifice for us, a pleasing aroma to God. Now, I want you to circle that word sacrifice. Um, if you have something that you can circle it with. And if, if ladies, if your husband won't do it, then lovingly and submissively circle it for him. Because last week we, we discovered that, that the one word job description for all men, for all husbands, is sacrifice. So men, say that with me. Sacrifice. sacrifice. Say it again. Sacrifice. All right. There it is. Once again, God is saying to men. If you want your wives to respond to you the way I've created them to respond to you, learn to sacrifice. All right. We're going to talk more about that in just a minute. Um, this is for your husband's own good that you reach over and you circle that. And, and if you're not married and, and, and you think that maybe someday you will be circle that and then, you know, write a little note to my future husband and then give it to him because it's for his good that he learns all of this stuff. Now, everywhere you need to remember this everywhere that Christianity has flourished. First of all, Jesus elevated women in society. Women um, uh, uh, supported his ministry. Financially, women were everywhere in his ministry, and he elevated the role of women. And every society in our history, from the time of Jesus till now, where Christianity has flourished, women have been elevated. It doesn't take you long to look at other religions, other um, faiths, to realize that in most of those, women are, are put down. They are subservient to men. That is not the way it is in Christianity. So remember, Christ had a high view of women. Christians who are living under God's authority have a high view of women as well. Now, turn the page to, to 166, if you've got your Bibles. Ephesians 5, 21. Now, a lot of times when, when men um, misuse verse 22, because verse 22 we'll get to in a minute, it says, wives, submit to your husbands. Men leave out verse 21. Here's verse 21. And further, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. All right. So I want you to circle that phrase, submit to one another. Because I said last week, Janie is superior to me in many things. There's lots of times that I submit to her because she's just better in certain areas than I am. And so I'll say, OK, I'm going to trust you in this area. But there's some things that, that I am better at than Janie. And so she submits to me in those areas. There are these choices that we constantly have to make about whether we're going to submit to one another. When we get under God's authority and we submit to one another, then marriage works. It thrives. All right. Watch this video and see the choices that the husband has to make um, not to... Uh, Really, really mess up.
I made a list of things for you to do today so that you don't forget. You gotta pick up the dog from the kennel, which reminds me, you're not gonna be able to go to your men's thing because I've gotta do my bunko with the girls. And by the way, those rental fees are gonna be incredible. You need to take the videos back. And speaking of Lacey, the girls' library books are due. I don't know how much we owe on them. Now, just because you think something doesn't mean that you have to do it. Um, many times, if we would think about the consequences before we carried out an action, maybe we would be better off. Uh, definitely, we would be better off. So let's think some things through as we're reading these verses. Continuing on page 166, Ephesians 5, 22 through 25. It says, for wives, this means submit to your husbands as to the Lord. So we always start with, I always start with verse 21. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. This one, then verse 22. This means submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For a husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church. He is the savior of his body, the church. As the church submits to Christ, so you wives should submit to your husbands and everything. For husbands, this means love your wives just as Christ loved the church. He gave up his life for her. Now, here in a nutshell is what it is. It says, wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. So what that means is, men and women, we've got to get our as together. I did not cuss. I want you to think about that. Wives, submit to your husbands as unto the Lord. Men, love your wives as Christ loved the church. If we'll do that... Then our marriages will thrive. Now, when, when God looked at, at Adam and Eve in the garden, you remember where marital submission first had a problem. If you've read anything in the Bible and you know what happened with Adam and Eve created in the garden, they ate the forbidden fruit. And when they played hide and go seek and ran away from God, God comes down and he walks in the garden and he says to Adam, where are you? We talked about that last week. Men, where are you? It's a spiritual question as much as it was a physical question. God knew where they were. But he was he was pointing out to them that they were no longer under his authority. So all kinds of consequences were going to happen. So he says to Adam, where are you? But what he says to Eve um, is something totally different. 
Genesis 3.16 says, you will bear children. This is after they've sinned. God is, is doling out the consequences. He says, you will bear children with intense pain and suffering. And though your desire will be for your husband, he will be your master. Now, we've always thought that this verse meant, that this word desire meant that, that she would just love her husband. She would have this intense love for her husband. But the word actually means a lot more than that. It also means that women will be tempted to usurp the authority that their husbands have in the home. Because of rebellion in the Garden of Eden, it causes all kinds of chaos in the home. So this word means that, that ladies, it will be tempting for you to try to reach over and grab that umbrella from, from your husband and wrestle with it, with this whole authority issue. But the other part of the, ver- the word also means, this desire also means, that your husband will be tempted. Because of rebellion, we will be tempted to take that authority and abuse it in the home. And that's been going on ever since Adam and Eve were created. When we get under God's authority, there is no abuse of the authority thing. There's no abuse of this submission term, this desire term. But outside of God's authority, there's all kinds of abuse going on. Now, these are in- incredibly serious issues that we have in marriage. And what we've got to admit today is that if we have authority issues in the marriage, all right, if you don't get anything else, get this. If you have authority issues in your marriage, what it means is you really have authority issues with God because God is the author of authority in the first place. And if you have issues in your home, you probably have issues with God as well. Um, One husband I heard about would not allow his wife when they came to church, would not allow his wife to put their children in the nursery. His, his quote to her was, those are your children and you will take care of them at all times. That's an abuse of authority. The whole reason we have an, an incredible children's program here is so that you can come up here and not have to wrestle with your children. And maybe that gives you a better opportunity to hear from God when you're up here. He was abusing that authority. And that's what we want to get away from today. So so if we if we've understood that that. Uh, submission is not about abusing authority. It's not about manipulation. It's not about mindless obedience. What is authority? And can you give me some examples of how that would work in real life? Yes, we're going to look at the big three today. But just to remind you how the, the typical responses to God's word, because we said the umbrella represents God's word, getting under the authority of God's word to remind you of, of the three typical responses to how people usually um, respond to God's word. We're going to show you just a quick video to remind you of what all we've talked about in this series. The last few weeks, we've been talking about authority issues and what it means to be under God's authority. And we've been using umbrellas to remind us what that looks like. But in reality, different people have different views about what it means to be under God's authority. Some people think they can choose just a little bit of God's authority, a little bit of God, uh, to help them weather the storms of life make a whole lot of sense. Other people think that they can pick and choose which parts of God's authority they're going to be under. But that doesn't make a whole lot of sense either. Jesus said it's an all or nothing deal. So when the storms of life come, and they're going to come, sometimes they seem to come out of nowhere. you got to choose. It's all I will never, ever forget that experience because it was about 40 degrees outside and I couldn't speak for the next 10 minutes till my heater warmed up in my car. 
Now, submission on your listening guide, submission means to come under. So let's look at how this applies very practically to your marriage. Um, the first of the big three is finances. Nobody here has ever had trouble with finances in your marriage, right? When it comes to finances in marriage, you might as well say, let's get ready to rumble. Well, here we go. Every one of these, we're going to talk about this. When you have financial issues in your marriage, guess what? That means either the man or the woman, or maybe both of them, have issues with God. Um, and, and when God tells you about money, you can either choose to follow His his advice and, and things go well, or you can choose to disregard his advice and things don't go so well. Now, let me just explain where we're coming from on this. In the New Testament, there are 2,000, over 2,000 verses about money. Prayer, you know how many verses there are about prayer? 500. Faith, about 500. Why did Jesus speak four times more often about money than he did about prayer and faith? Because prayer and faith are huge deals in, in the Christian life. It's because he knew we would struggle big time in this area of money. And you've got a choice. Men and women, you've got a choice about whether you're going to come under God's authority in this area or not. Well, what is God's authority? The clear teaching of the Bible is that God wants us to bring 10%. That's called a tithe. 10% of our income to the church. I'm not talking about giving. I'm talking about bringing. God says, bring 10% into the church. And, you know, I've heard just about every excuse I can you can imagine because I've been in, in ministry for 23 years, I've been a pastor for a little over four years. And before that, I was a youth minister uh, for 19 years. And I've heard all the excuses. And I can just tell you real plainly today, if you are not under God's authority in this area of finances, um, then then he is not going to be involved in your finances. That's a promise from Scripture. And, and I'll show you that in just a second. Um, what you're really saying when you say the number one reason I, I hear people give is, I can't afford to tithe. Well, what you're really saying is, God, I don't want you to be involved in my finances. Doesn't make a lot of sense, but that's really what you're telling God. God, I don't want you to be involved. Because in Malachi, the last book of, of the Old Testament, God was speaking to Malachi and he said very clearly, he said, your whole nation of Israel is robbing me. And so they turn around and they say, well, how are we robbing you, God? And he says, you're robbing me because you are not bringing the tithe into the storehouse, is what it says in, in Malachi. Well, the storehouse just was a word representing where they gathered to worship. And so that would apply to us, to the local church. He said, you're not bringing the tithe into the storehouse, so you are cursed. The whole nation of you is under a curse. And then God says, bring the whole tithe into my house of worship so that there may be, uh, so that my house may be full of supplies. And then he says, and test me now. Try this. It's the only time in Scripture that, that God ever says, I dare you to test me on this. And he says, and see if I will not pour out the blessings on you so great that you cannot contain them. God says, I will bless you if you do this. There's always a condition if you do this. And so when people say to me, well, shouldn't I wait till I pay off all my debts? I say, well, when do you want God to be involved in your finances? Once your debts are paid off or today? Because God says, I will personally involve myself in your finances. And so this is not my opinion that I'm giving you today. This is God's opinion. And you have a choice to make. Am I going to get under God's authority in this area or not? And we have um, we've got some folks in our church that have said, you know, for me, if I wait till the end of the month, there's no money left. So I have to give it the first month. We've had other people say, 
you know, I can't even see the money. Give me one of those electronic funds transfer things. And, and if I don't ever see it, then I can give. And we've got some folks that are doing that. And we have those forms as well if you want to do that. Now, a few months ago, we interviewed Wes and Jen. Wes is our bass player. Jen's downstairs. You rarely see her because she's always with the kids and kid wor- kids worship. When they got married a little over, uh, was it five years ago? I forgot. How much money was it? $27,000 in unsecured debt. Okay, 27000 Unsecured debt means that's credit card debt. That's not a car. That's not a house payment. That's bases and that's all kinds of sound system stuff and, and all kinds. $27,000 of unsecured debt. And we did this whole thing on our, on our church anniversary where I interviewed them. Because at that time, amazing things had happened. They had continued to tithe the whole time our church has been in existence. And so I forgot you'd given well over $10,000 to the church in those four years. And today... How much debt do you have? Zero. And so I asked him in the middle of of our interview, I said, isn't it nuts? I mean, it it doesn't make sense. Why would you give $10,000 to the church while you've got $27,000 out here? Isn't that crazy? And they said, no. I said, do you regret giving money to New Life Community Church for the four and a half years we've been in existence? And they looked at me like I was nuts. No, we don't regret it. God got involved in their finances. And and I think both of them will tell you the reason we got into twenty seven thousand dollars. We didn't spend a whole lot of time praying about some of the some of the decisions we were making financially. And that's when they were not under God's authority in that area. So they said, "Okay, we're going to get under God's authority. We're going to give and we're going to do things God's way. So here today, praise God, they have zero debt. I remember the day it happened. They told us, called us, told us, guess what? No more debt. And we celebrated with them. Because we're excited. When you do things God's way, it works. Now, what is doing things God's way? We talk about this at least once a year, sometimes more than that. 10% you give to the church. You bring to the church. 10% you save. 80% is what you live on. And let me give you a little secret. I will never, ever feel guilty about taking my family on a vacation if I do it in the 80%. I will never feel guilty about driving a nice car if I do it in the 80%. I don't have to worry about what people think because I'm doing what God tells me to do. And if I give 10 percent and I save 10 percent, then when bad stuff happens and and stuff happens, you know, air conditioner goes out, transmission goes out, then there's money in the bank to take care of those things. All right. Let's look at the second of the big three. Kids. Y'all ever have any conflict over kids? Are your kids smart enough? To divide and conquer when it comes to mom and dad. Because in my house when I was growing up, dad always said yes just to get you out of his hair. Mom always said no because she didn't want us to have any fun. So why would anybody ever ask mom? We'd go outside, ask dad, and leave before mom even knew what was going on. And oh, man. It was fun while it lasted, but when you came home, you always had to pay the piper and... and Word to Bess. Word, Bess had some words to us when we came back in. It was not a, not a pretty thing. If you'll think about your children, they actually want authority and they need authority. And think about it like this. If um, in those old Western movies, when the sheriff would be going around town after, after hours, he would go around and he would check the doors, the locks on all of the doors in, in the old Western movies and old Western times. And if what he really wanted was for the doors to be locked. Because if they were locked, then there was no problem. He would move on to the next door. But if they were unlocked, he felt compelled to go in and check around. Your kids are looking for boundaries. 
And your kids know when the boundaries are movable, when they're moving. So when they move, what is your child naturally going to do? It's going to push that boundary even further. So if you'll have some authority issues and if you will, if you'll make those firm and reasonable boundaries, I know a lot of folks that have unreasonable boundaries. If you'll have firm and reasonable boundaries, your kids will be trained in this authority issue. And, and really, all of life is training anyway. Your kids are being trained for life. And here's the really, really cool thing. If for no other reason, do it this way. When your kids are trained properly, we talked about parental guidance required. That was a series we did just a few months ago. When you dial in the right influences and dial out the wrong influences in your kids' lives, then when they grow older, what are they going to do? They're going to look for kids. They're going to look for somebody to date and to marry that have the same type of characteristics that you've dialed into their life. And, and do you ever get away from your in-laws? No, so here's what I'm saying. If for no other reason, you can never, ever get away from your in-laws. So train your kids to look for people that you like. Here we are at Thanksgiving. We're about to go to Christmas. And some of y'all know what I'm talking about. There's always at least one spouse in the family that nobody else can stand. And it's just torture to be with them. If we train our kids the way God wants us to train them to get under authority, then they'll marry folks who are under authority. Those will be the folks that are attractive to them. And then we can look forward to holidays. Selfish, but it works for me. Because I want my kids to come home and I want to hang out with them and I want to like their spouses. Now, parents, where are you? Men, where are you when it comes to finances? Ladies, where are you when it comes to finances? You under God's authority or not? Where are you when it comes to authority issues with your children? Please do not, men, do not hand the umbrella of authority to your wife. Parents, do not give the umbrella of authority to your children. The penitentiary is full of people who never learned about proper boundaries. They never learned to respect the boundaries of others. And so we want to train people. We want to train our children to do the right thing so that they come under God's authority and they'll marry people under God's authority. And boy, will our lives be better. All right. The last of the big three. Anybody want to take a guess? Sex. Somebody said it. In church, we said it. I hear that sometimes one partner is in the mood and one partner's not. Y'all are stunned. Does, it, does that ever happen? Never. <laughs> okay, we'll just move on then. What do you do when one partner wants to have sex and the other partner doesn't want to have sex? And by the way, just get over it. We're going to do a whole series in, in, in the new year. I'm not sure when, but it's going to be called sexual revolution. And we're going to say that word every Sunday for about five weeks in church. So I'm just warning you that it's coming. Um, what do you do when one person wants to have sex and the other one doesn't in the marriage relationship? Do you pout? <laughs> Somebody do not laugh or hit your spouse because this is going to cause all kinds of problems today. Do you fight? Do you run away? Do you look for a new partner? That's what happens a lot of times. Here's what I'm suggesting. Get under God's authority. What is God's authority? Here it is. First Corinthians seven, two through five. I actually put the page number on there, but I don't remember where it is. One forty one. Thank you very much. But because there is so much sexual immorality. Each man should have his own wife and each woman should have her own husband. 
The husband should fulfill his wife's sexual needs and the wife should fulfill her husband's needs. The wife gives authority over her body to her husband and the husband gives authority over his body to his wife. Do not deprive each other of sexual relations unless you both agree to refrain from sexual intimacy for a limited time so you can give yourselves more completely to prayer. Afterward, you should come together again so that Satan won't be able to tempt you because of your lack of self-control. I have never, ever heard the excuse for why you didn't have sex to be, honey, let's pray. I've heard the headache. In fact, I heard of one guy who came home from work one day and he handed his wife two aspirins. She said, what's that for? And he, he said, that's for your headache. She said, well, I don't have one. He said, gotcha. <laughs> now, God's authority. Here's what God says. If you want to know what you do when one partner wants to have sex and the other partner doesn't want to have sex, and, and, and we're talking about in marriage here, my body is not my own once I get married. That's why it's real important that you understand who you're marrying before you get married because you don't want to marry somebody who will not give their body to you. That is a recipe for frustration. My body belongs to my wife, Janie. Her body belongs to me. That's what the Bible says. The husband has authority over his wife's body and the wife has authority over the husband's body. But notice, even if you say no, it's for a very short time to prevent immorality and then it's only supposed to be for prayer. So, ladies, if you if you say, oh, honey, we need to pray, well, then be ready, because then you got to do it. If you say no, if you say no, Janie and I have developed the 24 hour no, meaning that we will immediately set a date that we're going to have a rendezvous within the next 24 hours. I think in our 15 years of marriage, I've turned her down one time and we've set a, a time for 24 hours. That's what we do, because then I'm not forced into temptation. She's not forced into temptation because we say, okay, my wife, my only legitimate um, way to release this God-given sexual pressure, sexual desire that I have, my only, um, not only logical, but legitimate way to release the sexual pressure is my wife, Janie. And she's told me, I want to be the only woman for you. And I'm like, yes, that's why I married you. Then I say, we say 24 hours, we will have a rendezvous within 24 hours. Now, I want you to listen so that you're just not getting a male's version of this. I want you to hear Kay Arthur, who has this incredible Christian ministry. She's written a book called A Marriage Without Regrets. Here's what she says. Think before you say no. There is no reason to refuse one another's sexual gratification. Abstinence should only come by mutual agreement and then only for a reasonable amount of time. The purpose for abstinence should be for extended prayer, period. Here's what this is. K. Arthur says headaches, backaches and being tired are not legitimate excuses. Although out of love, these, along with other reasons, should be considered. You need to remember that there is nothing wrong with the raw sexual desire. God created us with desires and hormones. So if you deprive one another of God's means of quenching sexual fire, you put your mate squarely into the path of temptation. And you will answer for that because you have sinned by disobeying God. Once you say no to your partner, it is easier to say no the next time and to continue to come up with excuses. It has been proven that the more you put off this intimate oneness, the easier it becomes and the less you desire it. it be this is an incredible sentence. You've got to hear this. It becomes a sad habit of life. A residual recurrent infection insidiously draining the marriage of its vitality and strength. It robs us of a depth of intimacy we all need and it wounds the one who was rejected. He or she can't help feeling what's wrong with me if even my spouse rejects me. Sex affirms our masculinity and our femininity at the deepest level. Something, sometimes this is again, this is Kay Arthur. 
Sometimes the most loving thing a wife can do when her husband is dealing with some sort of blow to his ego or self-worth is to become the aggressor in the bedroom. Sex with your mate can be a very valuable ministry, and that is how you need to see it at times. And we've said before, the male ego is the most fragile thing on the planet. We can't handle rejection. So, ladies, you've got to help us sometimes. When you say no for an illegitimate reason, especially repeatedly, it puts you both in a vulnerable position. Sex is an integral part of our design, something we need and long for, something that defines us at the deepest level. It hurts to be denied. Now, every couple struggles in in this area. When they get married, they struggle in the sexual area. The L.A. Times said this. Studies have revealed that satisfactory adjustment of sexual relations takes the average couple about six years. Twelve percent of couples were able to make the adjustments within the first year of marriage. About ten percent of couples took up to 20 years to adjust to one another sexually and have a satisfying love life. The point is, don't give up. That's the point of, of, of me bringing up that study. Don't give up. Maybe you've had some bad experiences. Maybe there's some baggage in your past that you are having trouble dealing with. The only way we will ever get under God's authority in the area of sex is first to know what God has to say and then communicate with one another. And Kay Arthur says, guys, ladies don't want you to criticize them all day and then try to take them to bed at night. It doesn't work that way. We've got to be sensitive and learn who our wives are. And the only way we're going to adjust and, and, and have a mutually satisfying sexual relationship is if we talk and are honest with one another. And the biggest thing you've got to do is you've got to make time. So here's how we're going to finish today. I want you to think of it like this. Think of it like a balanced diet. There are times when you and your spouse need a snack. There are times when you and your spouse need a dinner. There's times when you need a banquet. A snack is maybe five minutes. A banquet is anything, uh, a, a dinner, maybe 10 to 20 minutes, and a banquet is anything over half an hour. Now, men, if you're feeding your wife a diet of snacks, then you are causing her to be malnourished physically, emotionally, spiritually, because man cannot live on snacks alone. No woman can be the person God made her to be. She cannot respond to her husband the way that God wants her to respond to her husband if she's being kept on a diet of snacks. So we got to make time. Balanced diet. Now, Janie and I have discovered with children in the home, it is almost impossible to have a banquet. So you need to budget for a motel. Some of the best gifts that I've ever been given as a pastor of this church, at least once a year, somebody or the church or somebody gives us a weekend away. Oh, we praise God for that. Because, you know, it's challenging with kids in the home. But if all you're ever doing is living on, on a diet of snacks, your marriage will not survive and you're going to put one another in harm's way. If you do not create a magnet in the home, Satan will make sure there is a magnet outside the home. He's been trying to destroy marriages from the very first in the Garden of Eden. And in a society where our divorce rate is right around 50 percent today, um, psychologists say that, that the hidden agenda many times in those divorces is the frequency um, of sexual relations in the home. They, they're not going to put it in divorce papers, but that's actually part of the problem. And the best protection we can have, the best way we can affair-proof our marriages is to have not just a satisfactory sex life, but a thriving sex life in the home. One man said, why would I go look for a VW when I got a Cadillac at home? So what I challenge you to do, men and women, make your home, make the grass so green in your home that everything else looks brown. That they wouldn't dare think of leaving because they think, I'd be nuts to leave this, what I have. So, if what you've been doing 
in your life, in the big three, in finances, raising your kids, and in the sexual area, if what you've been doing isn't working, maybe it's time to say, I haven't been doing it God's way, and maybe I'm going to try to get under God's authority and just see what happens. What have you got to lose if what you're doing hasn't been working? So I want you to admit that today, and I'm asking you to get back under God's authority.